All right, before we do this, hey, uh, we're going to do a kind of like a gender thing real quick because this has really been weighing on us this morning, this question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? We got to know this. Okay, all right, hold on. This is how we're going to do this. Not only has Josh put out a Twitter poll, we're, we're in this deep for research. Not only has Josh put out a poll on Twitter this morning, but uh, we realized we did this a little different. So we're going to do this. If you are a female and you believe that uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, raise your hand. Okay. So that's three, four, okay, five. If you are a female and you do not believe Die Hard to be a Christmas movie, raise your hand. All right. If you're a male and Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, raise your hand. That's two. If you are a male and you've seen Die Hard and you think it's a Christmas movie, raise your hand. Yeah. Who, uh, who has seen Die Hard? Okay, put your hands down. Who doesn't care? <laughs> we're doing a we're starting a Christmas uh, series this morning called Christmas at the Movies, and we're gonna go through uh, for the next few weeks. We're gonna go through um, uh, a few Christmas um, uh, a few Christmas stories, movies you've seen, and actually, so next week we're gonna do Elf, which that's not up for debate. Some of you say it is an, isn't a Christmas movie, but your opinion doesn't matter. In this, it does matter, just not just not for right now. Um, and then the last week we're gonna do Die Hard. Because it's like a, and it's after Christmas, so it's like a 50% discount kind of deal when you're at the store and you still, still see the Christmas trees. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Is it, is it A Wonderful Life? Is it Home Alone? Uh, the Christmas Story? Uh, over the next few weeks, we're, we're going um, to jump right in. But um, before we get to this week's movie, uh, I want to ask you a question that I think has to be answered. And the question is this. Well, wait, wait a minute. Most people look forward to Christmas. Is Christmas your favorite holiday? Shoot your hand up. For real? Okay. You guys just weren't paying attention. Is Christmas your favorite holiday? Put your hand up. All right. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, mine is Thanksgiving uh, and the national championship with college football. That's my favorite. It is a holiday. It's a national holiday. If you don't, haven't taken the day off, you should. And if you do, we can hang out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's, Christmas is most people's favorite holidays, but why do you look forward to Christmas so much? Is it time off of work? Uh, maybe you get a year-end bonus. Maybe it's so that you can receive uh, gifts on your wish list. Um, none of those things are really bad, are they? Uh, I hope not. But you can get all of those things without Christmas. You work hard, you get a bonus. Uh, your birthday or uh, any other random Hallmark holiday, you get uh, a gift. But why Christmas? Why does Christmas become the ultimate uh, celebration? But maybe for you, Christmas is a little bit sour. Maybe you're not looking forward to Christmas. Maybe this Christmas is the first time without. Maybe husband or dad is deployed, and this can be the first Christmas that he's not here. Uh, maybe it's the first Christmas without a spouse or a parent or a child or brother or sister. Uh, maybe it's just a lonely time of the year for you. And so Christmas just isn't all that joyous and you just want to skip from Christmas to January the 7th or whatever. 
both of these mindsets, believe it or not, are extremely common at Christmas. It's like polarizing. Hey, you looking for Christmas? Ah, no, not really. This, and then you'll hear a story. This is my first Christmas alone, away from family, whatever. Or are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, I am. I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. But here's the question that I wanted to ask before is why do we need Christmas? Why do we really need Christmas? And it's at this point I want to introduce you to our movie of this week. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I didn't realize how many R's are in this until I tried to say it a thousand times. And now I don't even want to say my own name, Roger. I just want to, <laughs> just, Odge. That's what you can call me, Odge. I, it's like all these R's. All right, Red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. Did you know that there are more than just the Island of Misfit Toys? That there's a lot of actual Christmas movies of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but the one we want to focus on this morning is the Island of Misfit Toys which has a really strange plot to be an awesome Christmas movie. Have you guys thought about this at all? Everyone's like, I'm so excited that Rudolph the Red News Reindeer movie is on. It's like, really, you're excited to see a reindeer and a child dentist try to find King Moon Rider, get this, to do a root canal. <laughs> That's why we tuned into this movie is so that it's like, yeah, can't. we're so excited for them to do a root canal. Sign up and buy your tickets to this blockbuster. But the reason that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is ingrained in my life as a Christmas fan, and probably yours too, is not because of the incredible uh, movie plot or lack thereof. It's because of... Anybody know where, where King Moonrider is the actual king of the island? Of misfit toys. So um, uh, Rudolph the Red News Reindeer and Doogie Hauser show up at the island of misfit toys. And I'll give bonus points to anybody who can name uh, the first toy that they run into. Okay, it's a Jack in the Box. Anybody know why Jack in the Box is at the island of misfit toys? It's because his name is Charlie and not Jack. Yeah, I know. I was like, man. So why, <laughs> why, do we need, why do we need Christmas? Well, before we can really fully answer this, it, the answer to why we need Christmas doesn't come in Matthew. Although if you want to read the Christmas story with your kids this year before you, before you open up presents, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. But the, the Christmas story doesn't begin there. It's actually not even the end. It's, it's kind of like the middle of the Christmas story. The need for a Christmas story actually begins at the very beginning of the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, would you follow along with us? Um, we're going to start at the very first page. Well, not the table of contents, but after that, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you, we have, Bibles are ordered, okay? So we're going to get some new Bibles this week. Um, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can also follow along on the Restore Church app, and we'd love for you to follow along there. Um, or you can download the YouVersion Bible app, YouVersion Bible app, and if you search under live events, uh, you'll see Restore Church, and you can follow along. You'll see a lot of my notes on the Restore Church app. So if you're there, um, Genesis chapter 1 begins with the most important words in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created 
And I can't tell you how many times that I'll say this. I'll probably say it every time I teach about Genesis chapter 1. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, you can believe the rest of it without any issue. In the beginning, God created with just his words, the heavens and the earth, the birds and the fish. Uh, he created octo, octo, octopi. He created octopies, and he created caterpillars, and he created mosquitoes, and all of those other things. He also created the rainbows and the systems in which put them in place, and he created, on day six, he created us. And at the end of each day, he says three words that are so important in the Genesis narrative. And that those words are, it is good. On day six, he says it twice. He creates everything. He says, it is good. Then he creates male and female. In his own image, he created them. And when he was finished, God sits back and he says, man, it is very good. So in six days, God says it is good seven times. And on the seventh day, he rested. Hey, can I be a hypocrite for just a second? You need to rest. Uh, some of us in here are workaholics. Start the recovery process. You need to rest. Even God did it. Okay, I don't want to be self-convicted, so I'm going to move on. Genesis chapter 2, it's like, a, it's like a detailed look at day 6. Okay, so it's not a continued narrative. It's like, hey, let's really focus on the crown of creation and look at day 6. And so it starts to talk about the creation. It's in day 6 that God, it's, that God says something is not good. Anybody remember what it is? It's not good for man to be alone. So he puts Adam to sleep, and from his own rib, he creates Eve. It's in day six that we see Adam name everything. So it's really Adam's fault that some animals almost become cuss words while you're preaching. Um, it's, it's in Genesis chapter 2 that God gives the parameters to Adam and Eve. He says, you can eat anywhere of anything except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Seems simple enough, right? You could have probably done it. I couldn't have. You probably could have lived there, and you are smart enough to have built a fence, a really high fence. You would have put, like, red spray paint. I don't know if that was there, but it could have been. You would have done something so that you didn't eat of the apple. I would have screwed it up. So we could, before we blame Adam and Eve for everything, you could also blame me. But here we go. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter 3. And this is where the Christmas story begins. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you, eat from your, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, that sounds awesome. Do you see what Satan does to Eve? I'm, I'm just going to let you in on a secret. From the beginning of time, I don't know, let's call the earth 20,000 years old, tens of thousands of years old. 
Um, Satan still hasn't changed his tactics because Satan's tactics still work. The first thing he does is he questions God's word. Did you see it? Um, If you could put those verses back up. Um, In verse 1 he said, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? In the garden? He questions God's word. Man, our culture is doing that all around you. Churches, preachers are doing that. Instead of trusting God, they're questioning him. Did he really say that? Was that really intended for us to hear? And the second thing that he, um, uh, the second thing he does is he changes the intent behind God's word. When God created uh, in six days, his main goal was for you and I, creation, people to be able to share with him in his goodness and in his grace and in his mercy. I mean, think about it. If no one for 2,000, well, no, it's more than 2,000, for 10,000 years, 20,000 years doesn't eat from the tree, we would all be living a perfect life right now, but it got messed up. And that's what God's intent was. It was not to limit Adam and Eve. It was not to give them this painstaking process. You can eat of the bananas, but the apple tree, you can't have it. But Satan changes God's intent in his word. And in our culture, Satan's still using the same tactics, and he might even be doing it in your life. He'll say, oh, that's not really sin. It's not really sin to lust after a woman. Uh, Hold on. How do do men uh, get out of this? They say, it's okay to look as long as I don't touch. But what does Jesus say if a man... Lust after a woman in his own heart, he's committed adultery. But Jesus didn't have to deal with what we do, right? So he, he really didn't mean that. God, Satan's whispering in your ear that God can't love you. I mean, he can love everyone else, but he knows what you've done. So there's no way that he can love you. He can't redeem you. He can't change your marriage. He can't resurrect your life. He isn't watching you. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't listen to your prayers. You're just not doing it right. I mean, Satan is whispering all of those things, and here's the problem. You and I are gullible enough to believe them because they sound good. If we keep reading, we'll see what happens uh, when we listen to Satan instead of listening to God's word. In Genesis chapter 3, you might know the story, but don't skip ahead, okay? Genesis chapter 3, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her, to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. What's interesting is Eve goes away from what God said was good, and she begins to interpret what is good. Look at verse 6. When the, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food... So her flesh, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. God seven times in the creation story while he's making it says, this is what is good. This is what is good. This is what is good. This is very good. And all of a sudden you get a tree that looks good and and Eve's like, huh, 
this is good. So Eve starts playing the role of God in her own life by deciding what is good and interpreting God's word for her own life, for what's best for her instead of what's best for God's glory. And the results are tragic. Adam and Eve, they bite this, they, they eat of this fruit, and they are expecting illumination. They're expecting to, to know, to, to, to be like God, to gain wisdom, and, and so they expect illumination. But what do they seek? What, what do they experience? Humiliation. They hide. They start to put fig leaves together because now they know that they're naked. They fear God's presence. He shows up and they're scared of him. They start to throw each other under the bus. Well, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. You married couples don't fight like that, do you? The very first one did. I'm so glad we've come a long way. And God says, now you are forbidden for enter, from entering paradise. And sin in this moment as a spiritual disease enters the world. And so now that's why you have to experience death in your family. That's why cancer hits and you don't know why. That's why someone hurts you and you say, I just don't understand how you could do that. Well, it all comes from Genesis chapter 3. I, I don't know that I could imagine this pain. You were in such good, like you had bliss around you, and now because of tragedy, your life has been turned upside down. Maybe you can imagine what that's like. Adam and Eve, man, now they experience isolation when they were so unified. Maybe for you, you start to, like, if, if this were you, you would... Start to distrust your spouse. You, you gave me that fruit, and I ate it. Yeah, well, you did eat it, so don't put this on me. <laughs> and then when God showed up, you tried to throw me under the bus. Well, he's God, so I didn't want to catch his wrath, so I threw you in there. Maybe you start to have a lack of confidence in what you've been so confident in, like Adam and Eve were. Or maybe, maybe you're like me. When tragedy hits, or you just get overwhelmed... Eh, I'm done. I quit. Maybe some of your spiritual lives are like that. It's tough. Like it was good for a while and it was easy because, you know, the, the next steps started. The, the first steps are, are pretty easy going. Like it's pretty clear what you got to do. But then when you start to get into it and you really got to work at studying, at getting in God's word, and you really got to work to pray, you're just like, eh, I'm good. I'll go to church, but... Uh, it's getting too hard, so I'll just be done. Our sin always has a tendency to separate us from God, from, from each other, and sometimes can separate us from ourselves, from even who we are. And all of a sudden, like a toy that doesn't have a home or a child to play with, we look back at our Creator and we say, this is your fault. For Adam and Eve, they went from bliss to tragedy in a moment. Maybe you lost your job this year, a job that you started out that was so promising. Maybe you've lost a family member way too soon. 
Maybe Hurricane Florence, you just haven't been able to recoup, and life still has you in a tailspin. Have you gone from bliss to tragedy? Sin enters the world. It's caused pain, tragedy, corruption, idolatry. And the rest of Scripture, the rest of the Bible, until Christ returns... So we're still in this. We will be fighting against the results, against the sin problem from Genesis chapter 3. I said this, I think I said this last year in our Christmas service, uh, one of our Christmas services, but uh, instead of cursing, cussing, uh, anybody see my Facebook? Cuss around my son, it's on, all right? I had to explain to my son what uh, a few cuss words meant last night because some idiot kids can't get their mouth shut outside of Red Robin, but I'm not mad about it. Are you here? (laughs) <laughs> Come down here. Come down here. Have a seat. Uh, did someone stand up? Oh, I saw a coat go up. I was like, oh, shoot. No, for real, don't. <laughs> but seriously, do. Anyway. Um, so when, when stuff gets hard in your family and at home, instead of looking to blame each other or use strong language, just say Genesis 3. You Genesis 3. <laughs> You could seriously say son of a Genesis 3, because we're all children of Adam and Eve, right? That's good. Okay. That's Christian cussing 101. Um, here's, here's, what's, here's what's awesome. In this moment, there becomes this like tension of what could happen. So we're still in the middle of Genesis 3. We still don't know what's going to happen. God comes down after the sin, and he looks at them. What did you do? I mean, you literally had to do nothing. A little work here and there, tend the crops here and there, and you've got life made out. What did you do? And God could have just said, I'm done. I don't need this. I'm going to start over. Or God could have put a plan for a resolution in place, a resolution that you need. Maybe you need that physical resolution Maybe it's a spiritual resolution. Maybe it's a resolution in your family. Maybe it's a resolution in your attitude or in your mental health. Maybe it's a a resolution that you don't even know you need. Because let me ask you this question. How on earth, literally on earth, are you and I going to deal with the sin problem on our own? You can't. I can't. I've tried. (laughs) And I just make a bigger mess of things. So God comes down in the garden, and it's like a father who catches his kids doing something they shouldn't. They hide under the bed for a moment, then they point at each other. It was him, it was her, it was him, it was her. No one else's kids, just mine? Okay. So God comes down in the garden, and just like in your life and in mine, uh, sin has consequences. So God tells Eve, you'll have pain in childbearing. Pregnant women, if you're about to have a baby. In the, in, the, in the room when you're delivering, just yell Genesis 3. <laughs> um, Adam, to man, you will work a lot harder, and it's not going to be easy, and it will be tough, and you will work until pain and death come. And so when you're at work, don't cuss your boss, just say Genesis 3. But Adam and Eve, they actually received the least of the punishments of that day. This is the best part of Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Follow along with me here. So the Lord came and he said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the animals. 
you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. If you have your own Bible and you are a highlighting type person, uh, or if, you have the, if you're using the YouVersion app and you just push your finger on it, you can highlight verse 15. And I will put enmity, the hatred, disdain, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And just when you think this is like a really vague, broad, general thing about children, God makes it really specific. He says, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yeah. <laughs> that just, that, that's the diehard part right there. Like that's, man, I, I love that. God's like, you screwed this up, man. You hurt my kids. Now I've got to teach my kids what resolution looks like and what forgiveness looks like. I didn't have to do that before you messed this up. And so because of this, women will have children forever, and there will be this hatred between them and you, but there will be one, and he's going to crush your head. And the only thing you're going to be able to do, sucker, <laughs> is bruise his heel. I think God said sucker. I love it. The question is, who is the offspring going to be? We're not going to do this whole thing, but when you get home, read the very next chapter of Genesis. Because Satan tries to figure out who it is. Eve has, gives birth to two sons, and one of them God has favor on. So Satan says, it must be him. He can't, he's not going to crush my head. So he gets into Cain, and Cain kills Abel. And so Satan's like, gotcha. God's like, no, it wasn't him. And so murder is the first sin that we read about other than Adam and Eve, other than the pride there. The whole rest of the Old Testament, Satan is trying to kill God's favored ones. He's trying to figure out who this, this offspring is. And so there really is this, this fight between good and evil, between Satan trying to find this child I mean, just read the Old Testament through that lens. But finally, we get to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You see where our need is. Because you can't fight Satan by yourself. You can't fight Satan with every person in this church apart from needing a Savior. And so, here we go. Matthew chapter 1. I, I don't know. I Look, I'm not God. It's good for you that I'm not, and for those punks outside of Red Robin. Um, it's good for you that I'm not God, because I would really screw it up, and I'm thankful that you're not God. Um, because I, don't, I wouldn't have written the story this way. Man, if I, if I wrote this story, Jesus would come on the scene, not as a baby, but as some ripped, like, bodybuilder, wearing a Clemson jersey. I mean, he would have been like, I think if we would have wrote this narrative, this scene, this story would be different. But, gee, but God, God chooses a different way. Look, look here. All right, Matthew 1, finally. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So this is Matthew writing about it. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And before they came together, she was... Uh, sex. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's important. I wasn't trying to be funny. That's important. 
Um, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, but yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Are you underlining or highlighting? Do verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's why you need a Christmas story. You can't just skip to Matthew chapter 1. I mean, it's fun. It's a great story to read before you open presents. But you got to know that we need the Christmas story because of the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3. So we really didn't get to dive into Genesis 3 all that much, just a little bit. Um, but that's the reason we need Christmas the holidays, the holiday of holidays doesn't exist because we need vacation or presents or extra church services or, or whatnot. Christmas exists because we've sinned, because we've gotten in our own way, because we've broken God's heart. And Genesis chapter 3 didn't happen. We wouldn't need Christmas. If we had a pure, true relationship with God, we wouldn't need Christmas. If mankind had trusted God to determine what is good and evil, we wouldn't need Christmas. But we do. And we have. And we don't trust God. We need God to step in and to intervene in our lives and uh, in Matthew chapter 1, we see the like, apex of God's pursuit of mankind through a baby. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means next week. But for right now, I just want to ask you uh, and answer the question for you, why do we need Christmas? We need Christmas because we're broken. We need Christmas because we don't work the way that we were intended to. We need Christmas because of sin, because of hatred, because of hurt. We need Christmas because we need Jesus. We need someone who can crush Satan's head. Um, I'm thankful for that. All right, so what? Sounds good. Pretty cool. Didn't know that about Genesis 3. Awesome. So what does this mean? Uh, I want to give you real quick three things of what this means to you and then what you can do tomorrow to make Christmas more meaningful, or what you can do today to make Christmas more meaningful for you uh, tomorrow. Uh, the first thing I'll, I want to just, this is, this is why we planted our church, because Restore is really a island of misfit toys, but Jacksonville is. The people that you work with are broken. The people that are sitting in the row behind you and in front of you are broken, what better place to do than get with other broken people and say, we need to be, re we need to be restored. <laughs> we need to be fixed. And who can do that? Well, I can't do that. Restore Church can't do that. Your mom, your, your, your dad, your husband, your wife, your children can't restore you. It's only Jesus. And so we decide we're going to start a church for the rest of us, a church for people who don't belong. That's us. And that's, that's kind of, this is why we exist. 
So what we do as a church for the rest of us, a church of misfit toys, is we love God relentlessly. We love people recklessly, even the people who don't think like us, look like us, or vote like us. We're going to love them. And we're going to love our world radically in ways that we can't even see now that God will allow us to do. And so we're a church for the rest of us because of Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1. Because this baby Jesus can save us from our sins. Here's the second thing we want to talk about is that uh, Christmas should mean more now. I got to tell you, as a pastor, this is not, this is not good. This is confession. It's like Christmas has gotten old to me. You can't change the story. You know, like uh, 51 weeks out of the year. I mean, there's a lot in the Bible you can preach from. Well, I'm uh, sorry, 49. Got Easter. Um, you got, like, there's all kinds of, but Christmas doesn't change. And so I can just speak on behalf of a lot of, of preachers. When Christmas season comes around, we just kind of, uh, there's only so many ways you can talk about Christmas. But now that you need it, you can't survive spiritually without it, joy to the world changes, uh, changes when you hear it come on. Instead of moaning or groaning or whatever the owning is that happens, you just, you said, man, Jesus brought joy to the world. Away in a manger. Uh, I don't really know any other Christmas songs. But, um, but Christmas starts to mean more. The gifts that you give. We're giving gifts, but the greatest gift we've got is Jesus. The time you spend with family. It's not just time spent with family. It's time spent with family that either need Jesus or that have been redeemed by Jesus. It's either, it either is going to give you an opportunity to worship or to tell people about Jesus. So record that. I want to watch it later. The last thing that I want to tell you is that you, you belong. Uh, Moonrider. King Moonrider. That's a killer nickname. King Moonrider. Um, I don't know if you remember what uh, Charlie says that he does. He goes out every night and he searches the whole earth for broken toys. And he gets them and brings them back to the island of misfit toys. Is that you? Are you broken? Because God wants you to be found. He wants to bring you back into his grace and his love, he can restore you. He can give you a place to belong. He can give you rest if you're tired. He can give you peace in the middle of a chaotic season. And that's why we need Christmas. So that's what these mean. Here's three things. I'm not going to go into them, but here's three things you can do today that, make, that will make Christmas more meaningful tomorrow. Worship. I don't know. Listen to Christmas music. If you don't like Christmas music, there's plenty of worship music out there. If you're on Spotify, you can follow Restore Church. And all of our worship lists of everything we've played for the last three or four months is up there. There's also some other playlists, a Christmas playlist. You can follow us. Um, but worship, because when you sit in, the, in front of the throne of Jesus and at the, at, at the foot of the cross, what more is there to do? Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to confess. Confess your sin to Jesus. Jesus, I need you because I'm broken. Because I'm so full of myself. Because I'm, I'm lusting all the time. Because I have hatred built up in my heart. Why do you need Jesus? Tell him. Spend a moment this afternoon telling Jesus why you need him. 
So worship, confess, and meditate. Read God's word and meditate on it. Pray. Pray, and then just shut up and sit and just listen. Keep your phone in the other room. Go into a closet. That's what Matthew says to do. He says, go into a closet and pray. Worship. Confess your sins. Meditate on God's word. Read God's word. Pray to God and think and listen. Hey, I, I hope that, uh, I hope and I know you belong on an island of misfit toys. We, we all do. Some of us have just kind of gotten comfortable in this place of being on this island of misfit toys. Um, but I'm thankful that I'm not the only broken one. And I'm thankful that I need Jesus. And I'm thankful for God that in Genesis chapter 3, he said, man, they need a way out of this, and I'm going to provide one. And his name is Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. And uh, man, you are so worthy to be worshipped. Of our, of our singing, of our lives, you are worthy of it all. Because you've saved us, God, from our addictions, from our, uh, from our pain. You've saved us from ourselves, from our sin. God, thank you. And thank you is not close to being enough. But Lord, in our brokenness, we will boast all the more because of your power. And it's, in our, it's when we're weak that we are strong. Again, Lord, we just sit in your presence. And uh, we thank you for the holiday season, for Christmas, for the mission of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you've done this with us at Restore, you, you kind of know what we're about to go into, although we're, we're going to kind of shift how we do this at the end of our service. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to go into a time of communion. But we're also going to spend a few moments in prayer, a few moments making a decision for Jesus. Um, and so, uh, you know what's cool about Genesis chapter 3? Uh, I, I wish I would have thought about it before now, but maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and then immediately notice that, one, that each other is naked. And so the Bible says that they sewed, they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up, right? God, is his heart is broken. And he comes and he says, all right, here's the punishment for your sin. It's kind of like, man, I just wish, you, I wish it could have been different. But he looks at their pathetic attempt to cover up their sin in these fig leaves. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 3, it says that God provided clothes for them out of the animals that lived there. You want to check this out? God was the first one to shed blood for Adam and Eve. To cover up our sin, there had to be some kind of sacrifice. So not only is the first mention of Jesus in Genesis chapter 3, the first sacrifice is in Genesis chapter 3. God, from the very beginning, needed and wanted and desired to cover up our sin through, through sacrifice. And the same is true today. In order for there to be forgiveness, Hebrews says, there needed to be shedding of blood. 
And so even in Genesis chapter 3, and it's still true now, to cover up, for there to be forgiveness of your sin, there had to be the shedding of blood. And we know that to be through Jesus. And so for for a moment, you think about Adam and Eve's sin and the pain that it caused and the death to the animal to provide clothing. But when you think about your sin and the, the death that it caused to Jesus and the blood that he spilled to forgive you of that, whatever that is, man, I don't know if it makes you smile, but it should. Because not only did Jesus die on the cross, they buried him in a grave, and for three days the world thought they were dead. For three days Satan thought he won. Yes, I killed the offspring. And then the earth started to rumble. (laughs) And Jesus crushed his head when God breathed life back into Jesus' lifeless body. And Jesus is like, man, my heel's kind of bothering me, though. <laughs> Got a little bruise on it. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope uh, that, that there is something more, and that Jesus, that God can do the same through you. Oh, man, I, I could talk about it all day, but I'm not going to. Uh, so what we do is we celebrate that. At the end of every service, we celebrate that. And so we have communion in, in different spots. We have uh, two trays right here, two on this platform and two up, uh, kind of up halfway. And that cracker represents Jesus' body that was beaten and punched and spit on and embarrassed and shamed because of your sin and for your sin. There's a cup of juice that represents the blood that poured from Jesus' hands and his feet and his head, uh, eventually his side, for you. And so when you bring that back to your seat, yeah, like think about your sin and the depth of your sin and what caused this to happen, but also think that that's not all to focus on. We focus on the resurrection of God. It's so good. Hey, during this time, uh, Josh is going to play a song. We invite you to stand and sing. If you don't want to do communion or if when you're finished if, with communion, if you want to stand and sing with us, we're going to invite you to pray during this time. Spend a few few moments with God. Maybe maybe you spend a few moments confessing your sin. Um, so we're gonna ask you to make a decision to pray and to worship. Would you do that with us? Hey, if if you've not uh, if, if you're not comfortable, we want you to stay right where you are. Like we're not we're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. If you're not a Christian. Uh, and you don't want to participate in communion, maybe you just think about the Christmas story and what that means for you. But if you've done this with us at Restore Church, would you lead the way so our guests can follow and they know how, how this goes?